Hi, everybody. This is Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And this is The Positive Mind. Where we bring you some ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively minded life. And we are talking about love as an antidote to loneliness. And what could be more positive than love? Have you ever loved somebody? Has anybody ever loved you? What if is it possible to go through life without loving something? How about like a roast beef sandwich? <laughs> it would be terrible to go through life without loving something. Why? I don't know. I think it's kind of like the grease that you know well, oils life. Yes, last week we played for our mid uh, mid show break. As time goes by, right? A fundamental things apply when time goes by. And that, you know, when two lovers meet, you know, <laughs> I still say I love you. Right. On that, you can rely. <sighs> so maybe you have something to see. But I mean, yeah, some people can go through life without loving another person. Mm-hmm. Maybe love a pet or love something. But it does. it is a good feeling. It's a very good feeling. And we thought that since we did some shows on loneliness that we would do some shows maybe maybe right up until the end of the year talking about love and there is this idea of love there's the idea of love and then there, there then there's the being in love and it's almost like the two people that are in love there's a there's a globe around them a bubble around them and nobody wants to disturb that right it's so precious you want to let them have that. <laughs> they, they have this love. I know what that's like. I've been there or not. Some people don't weren't there and haven't been there. Mm. But it's a special kind of feeling. So, And that's what we were talking about last week was love is a special kind of feeling. So I thought we solved, Nasima, the real question, the perennial question, eternal question. Is it better to be a lover or be the beloved? Maybe they should. We should just tell our audience to listen to last week's show, because I think it became very, very clear that love is a feeling, and feelings come and go. And you know, this is a feeling, of course, more than and better than most feelings, one that you don't want to leave. But of course, it's better to be the lover, because you're the one with all the feeling. The beloved. It's nice to know. It feels. Great to be loved. I know I'm loved, mm-hmm. right? And that's a that's a you know that's an add-on. That's like having good health. Yeah, I have good health, and I have someone who loves me, and I have a good home, and I have such and such and such. But the lover, the lover has the home and this other person, and they have all these feelings. Right. And we could hope that the beloved would feel like a lover as well. Of course. And, you know, engage in the flow and the give and take in the, you know, giving and receiving of Mm. love, of these good feelings, or or even that the beloved feels inspired to feel like a lover. Yes. Yes. And you could be a beloved one day and then the lover the next day. It's not like, or the beloved for six months and then you become the lover. Yeah. For six months. I mean, this is this is one of the secrets of keeping love alive is, you know, 
not one is excessively the lover and one excessively the beloved. Right. Um, so I think it's maybe even an artificial question, the lover and the beloved question. But people ask it anyway. <laughs> um, so anyway, we thought we cleared that up for you last week, that love is a feeling. And we also said last week that in psychology, as therapists, we're often dealing with clients' thoughts, you know, and what do we call them? Dysfunctional thoughts, malevolent thoughts, bad thoughts, guilty thoughts, shameful thoughts, you know, things that make a person feel bad. And often, you know, these things are their thoughts, not their feelings. Feelings are a way to clear out the bad thoughts. Right. And thoughts can create, you know, just so much havoc sometimes. You know, they can squish feelings, stop feelings from coming out. But I sometimes think that thoughts are the result of feelings that maybe just aren't being expressed as feelings. Like they come out as thoughts rather than feelings. Very good point. I agree with you. Yes. So if you're down all the time, you're going to have down thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so it makes sense that, you know, negative feelings are going to generate negative thoughts. And so that's why we, as therapists, love and like to try to get to the thought, uh, the feelings. Right. And I think it's something that I often see is that there tends to be so much meaning making around feelings. Yes. Feelings are feelings. If we can sort of take some of the meaning off of it for a little bit. Yeah. Or let the meaning drop us into a feeling, but the feeling being the important and the transient thing. Thoughts can be so, they can keep coming back and back and back and right. back when the feeling isn't processed. Yeah, so, so, Are thoughts real? No. I mean, this microphone is real. Right. I mean, but is a thought real? A thought, a thought can't open a door. No, it can't. <laughs> maybe there's some people out there who can you think know? open a door, but. <laughs> so, and maybe feelings aren't real. I mean, let's say feelings are in my body. It's a certain definite experience with a feeling. I mean, they're so mysterious. And, you know, yeah. they're so mysterious. All of these, that the phenomena of a thought is mysterious. The, mono, the phenomena of a feeling Absolutely. is mysterious. Absolutely. But it's, it's an experience we all have. We all have these experiences of thoughts and feelings. Yes, we do. And these are the things the, that we work on and work with people in order to help them live a more positively minded life. Mm-hmm. You know, because these things are transitory and uh, we want the good ones to stay and the bad ones to leave. The good feelings to stay and the bad feelings to go yeah. uh, as much as they can. So today we thought, well, let's see, Nasima, we're talking about love. Let's, what about this phenomena of love leaving? All of a sudden love isn't there anymore. We did talk about it last week and we talked about, <clears throat> you know, learning to transfer a sense of love to all aspects of your life. If you can feel this romantic love, this, well, let's not even call it romantic. If you can feel this inspiration of love for a person, and yeah, there's sometimes it's just not as intense, you know, or it's less. Can you transfer that feeling to maybe all aspects of your life, to your work, to your other relationships, to yourself, you know, to family, to your country, you know, to, you know, your school, wherever you go, can you transfer that feeling of love that you have for a person to other aspects of your life? Well, we thought, yeah, we, we think we can do that. 
but we also thought, what about this sense that love sometimes dies between people that once felt it so strongly? And the idea of it leaving or stopping or going just never seemed possible. And what happened and what do we do about that? Right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and I thought, let's see, what's what's the good image of a loving relationship? I, th- I thought like a sailboat. Hmm. Right? That the the wind gets into the sail, and the and the boat moves, right? Right. And when the wind is there and the sail is full, everything is moving just beautifully. Everything is wonderful. Yeah, and you you could maybe you know like if you're imagining like a couple in a sailboat and the wind is catching and they're working together to keep catching the wind. Right, yes. you have to work together. You need. It's hard to sail a boat by yourself. It's possible, but it's more fun to sail it with someone. Yes, yes. Um, it's and a team effort. Right. It can be right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Which is what we're going to be talking about, right? Because when the wind stops, then the real team effort starts. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the. That's then you start trying to blow the wind <laughs> in the sail. Right. <laughs> flapping things right um, um anything to get that doldrums. wind back yeah so yeah. what happens when the, the wind dies down i thought that would be a good metaphor or image for us to think about as we talk about when love you know the wind dies down when love's when love disappears hmm. and the impossible that you unimaginable when you're in love uh, happens so we want to honor this. We we want to acknowledge that this really happens. And we want to obviously say that obviously it happens so often that people that enter into marriage and this huge inspiration and trust and belief in the future um, and in each other, you know, 50% of the time, at least 50% of the time, it's gone. It fails. Yeah. It doesn't hold. And then if you marry again, it's like even 50% of that time. So the second marriage will fail. Or, yeah. It's 60%. It's 60%. And then if you marry the third time, then it's 75%. So so there's something about um, this phenomena that is entered into with real trust and belief that comes to be disproven and lost like the wind. And we want to honor that that happens. We we want to, you know, we're here in the positive mind. This is the reality. This is what happens. And unfortunately, it happens much more often than it really has to. This is why I really think couples therapy is such a great, great opportunity for people in general. It's one thing to be as individual and manage your own problems and go through life. And you can do that and, and maybe not go to therapy. But when you're a couple and you've had this beautiful wonderful thing and then it dies and it's not there before you leave and break up and break apart and go and try to meet somebody else couples counseling is the opportunity really to find out where it went right it's it's such an opportunity for personal growth because there's nothing like you know, growing and being reflected by another person, like having another person there, seeing you, maybe calling you on some of your habits, yeah. 
It's a real stretch. I think we talked about love last week. I, f- I feel it often is such a, it's such a stretching sort of phenomenon. You said it was like a filling up, like a, it's, mm. you're asked to sort of move out of your comfort zone and yeah. really be seen and see the other. And it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. And I think yeah. it's a real test of how do you do with discomfort and what do you do with it? Well, I'll venture to say it's probably the biggest challenge that we can have as human beings. You know, like a math problem. You can fix it or not fix it, right? I mean, you you can solve the problem or not. Or the bridge that you need to build or want to build, you know, you see it, you can figure out how to build it. Or you, When you live and love another human being, you are confronting the mystery of life, frankly. The mystery, the mystery of me in this relationship and the mystery of you in this relationship and the mystery of all the feelings and thoughts that I'm subject to because I'm in a relationship, living with somebody, adjusting, adapting to somebody, adjusting and adapting to myself as I do that. It is one of, I think it's the biggest challenge that um, we can have. One of these things we were going to do today was to read this thing about a couple that was together for 78 years and one of them is passing away and she doesn't want him to call the the hospital or the doctor and just hold my hand and let us have our last moments here together right and um 78 years so beautiful you know that that is like what kind of achievement achievement to live and love someone for 78 years. So so we're saying, I'm saying, that it is the biggest challenge. And what an achievement to... Well, uh, just thinking, like, all that they must have gone through in 78 years. Yeah. You know, think about it. And to have managed storms, calm seas, doldrums, right. good winds in their yeah. sails, mm. different pace and challenges along the way and you know you're saying this is the greatest challenge in life yet very few get any kind of really good guidebook or skills or learning about how to be in relationship yeah, that's right. we're kind of thrown into it like we're thrown into raising children yes it's like taking a baby <laughs> home right you think you're up to the challenge and then nobody can tell you how really to do it yeah. uh, or can they really well there are plenty of books but you know, it's it's true, you know. I mean, I think we don't have a book, a rule book about it. And that's mm. changing as society changes, love changes as well. So uh, everybody's making it up. And yet this common phenomena occurs that it dies as well. I mean, that's as common 95% of the time. I mean, let's say the 5% that make it 78 years and have sustained all the storms and everything is the rarity. I think the more common thing is that love dies or it certainly diminishes and the wind goes out and that that's reality. That's the real thing. So we want to talk about that. We want to be aware of that. And if you were looking to replace loneliness with love, we have to be real about it. Right? Yeah. So what about that? If you made the commitment with the person that you're in love, let's let's not let this die. <laughs> let's figure a way how to have this right. for 78 years. Can we do that? Will you do that with me? <laughs> what 
do we have to do? That is a deep commitment. Yeah. That is, that is like committing to being very uncomfortable, to not jumping ship when things get rough. I think it's a commitment to being uncomfortable and leaning into that and mm. leaning on each other rather than moving away. One of my friends had a part of their vows was to choose love, not fear. Because I think fear is one thing that does come in and destroy love when old fears or old ideas that something isn't right, I'm afraid, I'm uncomfortable, I'm going yeah. to gonna go. Mm-hmm. Fear is going to make you want to run. Sure. Or fight or flee. That's what fear is going to do. I'm mm-hmm. going to fight this person or I'm going to run away. And if we can get back to that feeling of love, it can really change things. Yeah. It, can, it can make such a huge shift. It's not an easy vow to keep is not easy no <laughs> it's a wake-up call when it's gone like mm-hmm. oh i didn't bank on this when we went to the altar together yeah um and here it is so let's lay it out all right let's talk about <laughs> it's not a, it's not a pretty thing to do for the first half hour we're doing this but let's lay it out what happens to Seema? uh we want people to get a clear picture of this you start insulting some, your your beloved your loved one in public Right? I mean, let's say you go to a party and all of a sudden, hey, you're insulting me in front of other people. How did that happen? Right. Never thought that would happen. Or you come home after work and you just don't talk. You just say nothing. Yes. You come home, it's total silence. You put your coat on the table. You oh, sit gosh. down in front of the yeah. TV with a beer and say nothing. Right. Remember that song in the 70s, Barbara Streisand? You don't bring me flowers anymore. Right. My gosh. Ooh. Heartbreaking. Mm, yeah. But yeah. Like, <laughs> like somehow taken for granted or mm. resentful. Yes. Maybe. Right. You know, it just like it becomes some kind of bitterness. Like don't touch. You know, I can't. And I've had a, I've had couples and one of them saying to the other, I can't. Sometimes I can't sit in the same room with her or him. Mm. How does that happen? It yeah. happens. It, yeah, it's a it's a given. It does. It, it happens. You know, so so it's not pretty, and it just feels sometimes the most unnatural thing is to come back together. Like, That's, you know, you can move mountains, but don't make me have to try to do this again. Right. To move closer to him or to her. Another thing that might come up mm-hmm. is like. You're starting to think in your head or you're telling your friends, so-and-so always does this. They never do that. The always Mm. never principle. If that starts coming up in your inner dialogue or your dialogue with your friends or even when you're fighting, always never. Oh, my gosh. These huge generalizations. It makes it impossible, you know, and completely obliterates anything good. (laughs) Sure. You know? There's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You know when your relationship is going bad when you are complaining you hold the other in contempt you have tremendous defensiveness and you stonewall the other person have you Mm -hmm. ever been stonewalled this is like the wake-up call you know and as i've said on this program before that it takes couples usually seven years to finally make it to a third party. And let's just call a counselor a third party, someone, the neutral person they can take it to, to finally address the problems. Seven years. And so when, the, when this fourth horseman 
of stonewalling, where I won't even, I'm a stonewall, I won't even respond, shows up, then people will actually make the phone call, usually at least, usually seven years. And it all boils down to, Nusim, and who doesn't know about this, is as irritability. It all starts with little things he's doing start to bother me. Little things she's doing are starting to bother me. And you become irritable. And I wonder if irritability is also like the result of, you know, somehow it's too close, it's too familiar, they're starting to get under your skin or something. I don't know. This is something to investigate. I'd like to really look into irritability because when we think about irritability, I mean, any sort of major diagnosis in psychology and maybe even in medical field has irritability in it. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you have diabetes, uh, one of the one of the diagnostic um, ideas behind diabetes is irritability. There's an irritability. There's a, a drop in your blood sugar is going to make you irritable, desperately irritable. You know, some people, they feel that they're hungry. They have to eat now. If I don't eat, I'm going to be miserable or drink. You know, that's, mm-hmm. and sometimes diabetes is like that. You drop in your blood sugar and you can't perform and function in any fashion. So and many medical diagnoses are characterized by irritability, but, you know, Scratch the surface of any mental health diagnosis, and irritability is underneath those as well. Yeah, and so many things can cause irritability. Not only, you know, an imbalance in hormones, yeah. but, you know, chronic stress Absolutely. is a huge factor in that. Um, but you, you touched on something that I thought was really interesting, which is there are no more surprises the familiarity with when we become familiar as human beings, one to the next, one to each other, there are no more surprises. You know, the, one of the fascinating and wonderful things about falling in love is everything's a surprise. I'm a surprise to myself and the other person is a huge surprise and they keep surprising me. And these surprises keep coming and coming, right? And then... What happens when the surprises stop, you know, spread out? There's Mm -hmm. fewer and fewer surprises. There's this familiarity. And now where does, you know, how do I sustain love without the surprises anymore? And then so irritability starts to come up, you know. (laughs) So it's an interesting phenomenon. I'd love to research it and investigate it more. Well, I Uh, just find, too, the word familiar has family in it. So mm. it might also feel like they're feeling too much like my family, whether that's good or bad. I don't know, but no, but like this quality of yes. like they're they're no longer new. They're familiar. They're like my family. Like I don't know, I'm right. getting bored, or you know, maybe boredom's irritating to me. I don't know. I mean, but it's it's somewhere linked in there. And me being a trauma person, I'm like, well, yeah, family could there could be a lot of irritation with family and family history and. You know, what happened when you were a kid? What did you see? How was it? How were your parents together? Did they seem like brother and sister, you know, in Mm. a strange way? Mm -hmm. Yes, I like the connection, familiarity and family. Mm -hmm. Um, And we could be irritable with family or show our irritability to family in ways that we wouldn't show to a stranger or somebody else that we know or in business with or meet, you know, or working with or come across in public that there's a, a shortcut to my irritability with family members. Family members kind of know by your grunt, 
<laughs> that that you're irritated with them and they don't back off and back away. And so this happens with couples as well. You start to get the grunt, right? Or you get the silent treatment or you get the distance. You know, you remove yourself from or, the other person. Or rolling eyes, mm-hmm. arguing over the tiniest things, pulling away from touch. What's one remedy, let's say? Kevin, you seem to be irritable. <laughs> mm-hmm. You think? Well, there's something, you know, you're kind of being short with me a little, and and I just get the sense like you didn't want to hug today. So, okay. Yes, that's one of the remedies to irritability. And also one of the great things about being in a relationship, someone can tell you what they see when they see you. And that's a great place to start. You seem to be irritable. Is there anything I can do? Sometimes no, right? Let's say if I if if I ask or the woman, you know, the partner asks, is there anything that I can do for you right now? Sometimes no. Like no, just let me be alone, please. Or yes. You can bring me a cup of tea or you can bring me a sandwich or something. You know, so I I think it's really that basic. It can be that basic to interrupt this is first to notice it and say it, name it, say it to each other. It's like, you know, a violation that goes unnoticed or unspoken about. One, if you have one, you're going to have a lot more of them. And so, so important when irritability shows up, you know, not to try and take it away from the person, let them have their irritability. But to name it and say, you seem to be irritable. Is it something I've done? Should we, do you want to talk about this? Or should we, do you want to talk about this? How about this? Do you want to talk about this at another time? <laughs> okay. But I think it's so important not to let the first time go by when it shows up. And then, you know, you be the person to say, I'm available to talk about this whenever you're ready. And if they don't want to, then it's not on you. It's on the person who's irritated and irritable. And they'll eventually come around. That's one thing about irritability. It will pass as well. And I think sometimes if you try to take it away from someone or ignore it or pretend like it isn't in the room, it doesn't go away. It just gets worse. It gets worse. It does get worse. And who doesn't know this? We're saying that irritability is part of a diagnosis of, you know, most emotional and psychological diagnoses and conditions um, and probably most medical conditions that who doesn't know about irritability? Irritability is a bit of a mystery as well, right? Sometimes it just comes out of, no, I don't know why I'm irritable. We could talk about hormones, right? I mean... And nervous system. Um, I mean, I think both are at play here. Let's do a little bit of that when we come back from break uh, to talk about hormones because I think they're underrated. I've had many clients that come to my office and I know within five minutes that they have a hormonal issue and imbalance, irregularity, um, deficiency, and that that's running a lot of what their issues are. And they never think to check that or go there. And so I think it's very important in mental health for your um, practitioner to know about hormones and hormone imbalances and how they affect mental health 
and your general mood. So we're going to talk about this when we come back briefly. Not We'll save it for another show because we do want to talk about some remedies that we suggest and can help with this um, getting the, the wind back in the sail. You're listening to The Positive Mind. I'm Kev O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And we'll be right back. You're me to me. Why must you be me to me? Gee, honey, it seems to me You love to see me crying I don't know why I stay home Each night when you say you'll phone You don't that I'm left alone Singing the blues and crying You treat me coldly Each day in the year you always scold me whenever somebody is near, dear. It must be great fun to be me to me. You shouldn't, for can't you see what you mean to me? Fitzgerald did it as well, and others. But she's singing in a way that everybody knows about this. You know, people can be mean to each other. People live with each other can be mean to each other. Anyway, we did say before the break that we want to talk a little bit about hormones, Nasima. You know, we all know about hormones. You know, when if you have a teenage daughter or somebody who's just starting their period, um, and they have a, some girls do not have premenstrual dysphoria disorder. There are some mood changes for a few days, right, for a little while. Yeah, some can be quite extreme. It's quite extreme. And this is hormonal. These are a change in the hormones. So we want to say that similarly, 
maybe not as noticeably, people in marriages and couples go th- have different hormonal changes that are affecting their moods with each other. And it would benefit both couples to, I think, get educated in hormone <laughs> imbalances. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and not to be dismissive. Oh, she's going through this phase of life or he's going through this kind of condition, lowered testosterone or whatever, um, and do it in a kind of derogatory way. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like we talk about when we talk about the Enneagram. It's useful information to know about other people and yourself. So what can you say, Nasima, about a shortcut version of hormones? hormones? Yeah. Yeah, the hormones that are sort of at play at different stages of relationship, like in the lust phase. That's all testosterone, estrogen. We're getting together. We're hot and heavy. So a woman will feel great when her estrogen is high. Yeah. And she's in love. Mm -hmm. And she's in lust. I mean, that's what those are the attractive hormones. I mean, those are the ones that sort of bring you into that sort of lustful kind of place. And similar for men, his testosterone will be in play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then in attraction, it's a little bit different. So there's lust and there's attraction. Right. When right? you're pursuing someone. When you're pursuing when you, someone, when you're when you're in like dating and you're in the whole sort of honeymoon phase, let's say, dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine are really high. They're, it's just like you're in this, that's the love high. That's the feel good. That's the feel good. You know, serotonin, they find most of those receptors. Those are These are neurotransmitters. Yes. Um, serotonin in the gut. So it's like that gut feeling, that gut, oh, I really, you hmm. know. Want to be with this person and dopamine well, is in the brain and it's exciting different parts of the brain. Of course. And uh, norepinephrine is like that excitement of the heart. Like that's, ah, oh, yeah. So All then, these are in play when you're pursuing someone that you yeah. know you're interested in. And, and also when you're in, I think, that first sort of stages of love and commitment. But then attachment and bonding is held together with oxytocin and vasopressin. Which is, you know, interesting. Oxytocin is that sort of love bonding hormone that comes up when mm-hmm. you give birth, when you're, you know, lovemaking. Um, it makes you feel really good. It makes you feel together with that person. And vasopressin is about heart rate. It's like acting directly on your heart. So it makes sense. It regulates your heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which yeah. is important in your relationships. Yep. So what happens when serotonin goes low? We know what serotonin means when it goes low is depression, right? And so irritability is a huge sign of depression. It's one of the major determinants of depression. And so you're pretty clear that your wind is out of the sail of your relationship when your serotonin is down. And so a lot of psychiatrists will just go ahead and give you a antidepressant and we don't recommend that at all. You have a low serotonin. Well, let's check it out. Let's find out what's at the cause of all of this. I'd rather you work things out with your partner than you take an antidepressant. So even though the hormone of serotonin is lower, it doesn't mean that it's lower, has to stay low, and that you have to supplement it automatically with an antidepressant. No, that's not what it means at all. But if it's chronic and if it's really hard, it might be necessary. Low dopamine can also show up in, a, you know, lack of sleep. Now, how many people are plagued with lack of sleep, especially parents? 
This can affect your dopamine levels, and that's also going to make you very irritable. When you don't get enough sleep, you're super irritable. So if your work has been stressful, your family life has been stressful, your sleep has gone down. A new baby will new make baby you will... irritable because you're not sleeping. And everybody, if you want to know what irritability feels like, go two nights with only three hours sleep. Oh, so you will know the full force of irritability. Yeah. And when these hormones are low, your sex drive is low, your ability to connect, yeah, you just feel really bad. Yes. And it's almost like it's an imbalance, like something's not right with me. I know it's not right with me. Let me try and fix it myself. Give me time. Give me space. Stay away. And when you're deprived of sleep, you know, you can't um, fix it. The only thing that's going to fix it is a good night's sleep. Yeah. So parents with a newborn know this phenomena that there's nothing the other partner can do that will make them less irritable, except you need to get your hormones back in balance. You need to get a good night's sleep. So we want to say that this is a component in when romantic love goes out of your sail and something to consider. Now, I want to spend more time on this on another show. But Mm -hmm. I just did want to make it very clear to people that hormonal imbalance can definitely take the wind out of the sail of your relationship, and it's fixable. One of the things that irritability creates is a sense of guilt. Like, I'm irritable, and I don't know why. I'm not back in love. We're not in love anymore, and I don't know why. There's a guilt about it. If we can be curious about it, and if you can say, oh, it's just my hormones, (laughs) you know, um... That could take some pressure off. So I'm trying to think, like, maybe if we become curious about irritability and the loss of love, it won't be so uh, devastating and make me feel like I have to end this. I have to move on. I have to get out of this. You know, because I think that's what people do. I mean, obviously, when we said that half the marriages end in divorce and second marriages. 60% 60% of the time end a divorce and third marriage is 75% and it, because people move on and this idea of hormones being a factor might mean well wait a second I might not have to leave it might not be him or her it might be my hormones let me let me find out and investigate about that so there's one solution one way to get rid of the guilt and maybe that's what ends relationships is the guilt I'm right. so irritable and unhappy I don't know why I think the smartest and best thing for me to do is to leave rather than get curious about it. And we want to say on the positive mind, nope, get curious about this. If you can get curious together about it, great, better. But get curious about this. Like I think one of the the reasons um, people that we don't deal with this enough, that people don't stop and recognize the irritability and the breakdown of their relationship is because they're programmed to – think that the relationship's always supposed to be great. How often do you hear couples sharing with each other their difficulties in their relationships? And how often are we being presented that everything's normal in America? You know, everything's normal in the American household. Or, you know, the movies or the TV shows and things like this that really present relationships in a certain way through the years. And if if my relationship isn't mirroring that, well, I don't want the neighbors to know and uh, I need to do something about it and I'm all alone here. 
So we're alone when we take a baby home from the hospital. And every new couple with a child knows this, that where's the instruction manual? Um, and I think similarly with, with you know, marriages, you leave the honeymoon and then where's the instruction manual? Well, it's not on the television, it's not in the movie theater, and it's not in most any novels. So I, too, have to learn this all on my own without anybody showing me. And isn't that a tragedy? So I, I want to say, let's say when the wind is out of your sail, well, maybe the wind isn't in that part of the sea, and it will come back. And we have to be willing to wait and sometimes. And you have to be willing to wait. I guess this could go under the idea in the cinema of we are given high expectations about uh, romantic relationships and love relationships. Everybody wants to see them. Everybody wants to be in them. But we don't really know very much what it really takes to keep it going. And I can imagine it's hard to write a book about that. I know there are many, many books out there. There's many, many resources. But to it's your own personal experience with this very unique person as well. So I think there's, <clears throat> we can touch on, you know, the surface level, but the deep work is, you know, between yourself and your partner. And can you, can you dig into that, you know, to sort of tune into each other again? rather than tune the other out. One of the things I think that helps is if your parents, okay, you didn't have a, a, a good rule book when you started your relationship. But if you come from a marriage, you know, the product of a marriage that modeled what love could look like, how love could survive, um, then you have a leg up. But I think, I don't think that that's, I think that's the rarity actually. Um, than the uh, norm, right? Yeah, I think modern love has, you know, it's in a big change right now. You know, modern relationships are becoming very modern. <laughs> there's so many Meaning what? different I ways. Mean, I mean, now there's polyamory. There's all there's all these different possibilities yes, for relationships yes. that aren't, you know, and the model of, you know, the 20s parents or the 50s parents, that's kind of changing, and now it's maybe totally the model changed. of the '60s parents, or that you know. Right. Wow, I mean, so much is changing, but uh, but somewhere that same thread has come from the '20s through the '50s, the '60s, '70s, what do you '80s. Mean? What kind that of thread threat? of the perfect relationship, the perfect ah, marriage, the you yes. know, the Leave It to Beaver. You know, it's like right. The oh, expectation is still, still there, there, in spite of the vast, enormous changes that have happened in the culture and in the family and in relationships yeah, and in attitudes know. about relationships. So we are here just to say, get curious uh, about it and to feel some kind of relief knowing that it might be this third thing that neither one of you in the relationship are guilty of that could explain why things are the way they are, why the love has gone. And that if you just be curious about it and not just leave you know, just terminate, then you might have a lifetime of love ahead for yourselves rather than, you know, consecutive broken relationships. I would think it'd be a great dialogue to have with your partner about what what are your expectations of a love relationship? 
What are mm. your expectations? What 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 do you feel it should be like? And just let's get all the shoulds out there. We did a show about don't should people, but let's just get those out there and maybe examine like is this realistic? Is this something you can actually do? I think it'd be a very interesting conversation yeah, maybe to have be. with a therapist in the room. And where did you get that idea? Right. <laughs> where did that come from? Often most of these ideas come from what we just said. It could come from your own parents' relationship. It could come from the culture and the media. Um, it could come from somewhere that maybe I don't really even believe in this. I just have drank it in like I drank, you know, Coca-Cola all these years. Um, and it might not actually really be a worthy, a worthwhile expectation in the first place. So I do think it's probably a very good exercise in SEMA. And one that, yes, will come up if you do come in as a couple to do all this work, to find out, yes, what your expectation was. And I think that's, it's a starting point and a huge disappointment when couples actually find out that I, I thought it was going to be so different than it is. So mm. we start with that. Anyway, so we're just recommending being curious. Let's talk to Seema finally about how we can help people with this now. Like, skills, right? So we're saying there's no manual, there's no rule book, there's nothing. Everybody's making it up on their own. You said to me, one of the remedies for this would be you seem to be irritated, irritable. And I think that's great. Uh, What else could be something? Well, I would call that like a skill of either just like being able to feel into your partner and say what you see. Like that's just a skill of noticing in a way. And I think another skill would be able to notice and express your own feelings mm-hmm. to be able to say, I'm feeling irritable, <laughs> you know, and not, and not. So I will about... say, yes, you're right. I am irritable. I'm frustrated. I'm feeling locked in. I feel trapped. I can't breathe. I don't have time for myself. I don't know what I'm doing next. It's tedious. Everything's the same every day. Nothing's new. This is what I'm feeling. Yeah. And, and so, so this is a good skill to learn to do. Right. To be able to say what you're feeling. And then the other skill that, you know, a partner, as a partner, that you want to be able to learn is to be able to listen and show your partner that you heard them. So it's getting to some of the safe conversations work we do where I would just mirror back to you and say, oh, sounds like, yeah, you're irritable and you're irritable because you're overwhelmed and there's so much going on. And because I spoke just now, I've forgotten a lot of what you said. So me even be able to say yes. that. It's like, I'm sorry, right, I so missed it. You could say it again. We call that mirroring. Yes. Yeah. So to be able to mirror and empathize with your partner, it makes sense with all you've got going on mm-hmm. that you would be irritable. So here's a, here's a, a key. We all know what irritability is when we see our partner as being irritable. We tune into our own irritability, our own memory of what it's like to be irritable, and use that as a resource to try and understand or feel our partner's irritability. And so, yeah, you seem irritable to me. And then you open the door. And so you're not surprised when they say, yes, I am, and then they go ahead and say what what that means to them. So I think one skill is to be able to check in with yourself. To say, this is what I'm feeling. Yes, it is a skill, by the way. This is a skill. 
Many yeah. people. And so really conflict can be the first time, believe it or not, the first time somebody knows and learns how to check in with themselves. Right. So frustration and anger and being trapped and all the things that go with irritability can be a, a, a wake-up call to finally check in and know who I am, know what I'm feeling. And this is often very good um, why relationships can be such a, a boon for, for growth. So, Kevin, something that I sometimes see with couples or, you know, just in life is that people won't look at each other. You know, a lot of couples, they've been around each other so much, but they're like, they're sitting at the table. They're not even looking at each other. I mean, smartphones are a big problem, yeah, yeah, but yes, yes. yeah, they're not even looking at and, each other. Uh, well, you remember when we think about two people in love, how much they're looking at each other and how you, easy it is to make eye contact. <laughs> and that, yes, this is, could be the first sign of love going away. And I think part of it might be guilt, right? You might feel guilty that I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. And so you stop making eye contact. You avert your eyes. Such a common thing. I bet, I bet everybody who's out there who knows this about their partner that they just can't, for some reason, look anymore. So one of the things you could do, and I recommend very highly, and so does Harville Hendricks and Helen LeKelly Hunt, by the way, authors of Imago Therapy, Imago Couples Therapy, is that you stop and look in each other's eyes. You don't have to hug or kiss or touch. Just, you know, imagine leaving for work every day, leaving your partner by making eye contact. Yeah. And throw in, throw in some breathing together. Let's synchronize our breathing together. Even when the love is gone, even when the love is not there, especially when the love is gone and the love is not there. And we should just get so comfortable and familiar with saying that, right? The love isn't there. The love isn't there, right? It's sad to say, but, you know, if we just say it, well, okay, the love is there sometimes and sometimes the love isn't there. That's real. That's that's the way relationships are. But everybody's pretending that the love is always there. And if it's not always there, then I must be guilty or something's wrong with what I'm doing. And so we say simply, make eye contact. Just make eye contact. I, and I think sometimes what feeds in here is that you're, take, you're taking the love for granted. But stopping and making eye contact, yes. stopping and breathing, you're not taking it for granted. You're, you're putting some, some coins in the, the love, yes. the love yes. holder. You know, it's like, right. yeah, you've got to you know, make some deposits into this bank of yeah, love. Right. And this is, this is one very simple, easy way to do that. And wow, I mean, before you leave, and how about when you come home? It might be a little hard. You might need a little what? bit of time. Yeah, no. You know, you're a little overwhelmed. But when you're ready and you've settled, just make some time. Or before you go to bed, mm. before you go to sleep, just look in each other's eyes. Breathe together. And rest. Especially when you're irritable. Right. Right? Especially when you're irritated. If you want, you can throw in for good measure a nice touch on the hand or on the wrist or on the elbow or on the arm or shoulder. Yeah. Throw that in as well. So make eye contact. Do three breaths together Mm -hmm. and make a soft touch to the other. Very, very simple. And it could have a dramatic effect. It might regulate your heartbeat 
first of all. Nassima and I uh, do something called Safe Conversations, which was invented by Harville Hendricks and Helen McKelly Hunt. And in those Safe Conversations, there's a piece where you try to tune in to your partner and what's your partner feeling. So you can do this when you're in conversation with them and just sensing, you know, I'm sensing you're pretty angry right now or I'm sensing you're irritated right now or I'm sensing you're happy right now. I'm sensing you're nervous right now or I'm all the range of feelings. So even if you're, you know, the love isn't strong right now, you're feeling different things throughout the day. You can make this eye contact and do these breaths together and tune in to your partner. Tune in instead of tune them out. I mean, so often we just tune out. They're just rambling in the back. So yeah, tune in. Turn towards and tune in. Another thing we could do is I'm going to stand six feet from you because this is COVID. (laughs) Six feet apart. And every 15 seconds we'll move one step closer to each other. And one step closer to each other. And one step closer to each other. And one step closer. And right as close. Well, let's make it 30 seconds when we're about a foot apart. And then closer. And then put your right hand up. Or one put the right, the other the left. And put your palms as close without touching each other. Mm-hmm. And breathe and feel. Just feel. Just feel. It's almost like feeling the energy that can come. Or maybe there's a sensation or there's that some is. wind. You'll feel or some, something. You'll feel warmth. You'll feel something. Again, and I think so much is made out of conversation. You know, if we're not talking, we're not in love, which I think is hogwash. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just not the case at all. I think you can be in love and be quiet with each other most of the time. That love doesn't have to have all this noise and conversation in it all the time. In fact, these couples that last 78 years, you know, they just communicate with their eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when one's irritable, the other one will give them a cup of tea or something or, you know, put a blanket on their shoulders or do something that you don't have to talk it out all the time, that there doesn't have to be conversation all the time. And not talking is not always a bad sign. So I think to make room for irritability and for it to pass like other feelings will pass and to make room for not being in love today and not running away from that and thinking, oh, the worst, and then I have to leave, this is it, it's over. And that if it is chronic and continuing for a long period of time, to consider third things like hormones, you know, like I wasn't really taught how to do this, neither was he or she. Or the models that we had weren't the best models. Or none of my friends really know how to do this either. You know, or whatever. That you make room for all of those things. And then finally, if none of that, a third party to listen to this and say, what needs aren't getting met here that can be met? If there are needs that can't be met, we have to talk about those as well. But what needs here are not being met? And also what skills are lacking? 
Because the therapist Correct. can teach you these skills too yes. and help you learn. It's not that hard, but it can be challenging. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good sentence, but but there's it's it's possible. It's possible to learn something new. It's possible to learn how to be in good relationship. And that's it for the Positive Mind this week. We're glad you joined us. I am Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And we are always thankful to our independent community radio stations airing us on a weekly basis. Some of them are KAOS, KPEJ, KXCR, WBDY, WRWK, WFMP in Louisville, Kentucky, and Global Community Radio. We'd also like to thank our producer, Connie Shannon, and our chief engineer, Jeff Brady. You can contact us at tffpp.org with questions, comments, or suggestions for the show. You can also find our podcast, The Positive Mind, on most podcast platforms. Thank you for listening. See you next week, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.